Hey, you guys. Thanks for letting me hang with you um, this morning. And I was doing the Mother's Day stuff in the big house, so I had to zip over here. So they were just kind of doing a filibuster waiting for me. If you need Bibles, right? Is that what those are? That's why you're waving those at me? <laughs> if you need Bibles, raise your hand. They're going to hand you a Bible. Uh, if you want one uh, to use, go ahead and, and grab that. It's going to be really easy to find where we're reading. So um, why don't you go ahead and turn to Genesis uh, chapter 2. Um, while we're, we're passing those out. When I, uh, when I was asked to go take a small little group of people and plant a church north of Seattle, I was a youth pastor and wanted to continue being youth pastor, had no desire to change. And the district supervisor who asked me to do it, he said, what is your hesitation to going and planting the church? And I said, I don't like adults. And, uh, <laughs> and so that... He says, that might be a problem. But uh, I, I always felt like I left prematurely. Wasn't look, looking for an out. Was hoping I'd get to stay, but God has kind of our plans. I'm so glad that Jeff's going to be like a 72-year-old youth pastor uh, one day. He'll never go away. Um, I'm going to jump right in for the sake of time. I'm going to ask you guys a question as we begin because we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about gender, and why does that even matter, and what does that even look like in kind of our day and age and our culture, and um, how, do we, how do we live out our faith in light of just kind of the current realities? And, um, but when you know somebody who's pregnant, and they go into labor, and they go to the hospital, and maybe a family member or a friend, and... And they haven't had a reveal party. When they find you find out they had the baby, what is the first thing that you want to know? What's the first thing you want to know? Yeah, isn't it? I mean, there's no trick questions. I'm not gonna try to trip you up. Uh, it's not. It's not. How's the mom doing? Is she okay? Is she doing? You know, it's the the thing we're most interested in. Is it a boy or is it a girl? Um, now everybody peeks. Everybody looks ahead of time. And so they have gender reveal parties. They have pinatas that you hit and, you know, the pink comes out or the blue. Or they cut a cake and it's pink or it's blue. Or they pop a balloon and the color, the gender of the child is revealed. And so we find all these creative ways to celebrate the fact that we're having a boy. We're having a girl. We didn't peak when we had our kids. And so, um, you know, we're in the hospital and, you know, how comes the head, you know, and it's misshapen and you're thinking... I think you're giving birth to a lizard. I'm not sure. It's just this slimy, you know, thing. And, and all of a sudden, once the shoulders get out, it's just boom. The baby just pops out. And that moment where instantly I just noticed I had a son. I just was, I would have been thrilled for a daughter. As a matter of fact, I was secretly hoping it was a daughter to begin with. But to, to have a boy was just like, all I could say is, I have a son. I just have, I have a boy. I have a son. Then my second child was born. Same thing. I have another boy. I have another son. And then we like to say of our third child, we named our girl Thomas. Uh, that was our last, last best effort at it. But um, there's something about the very beginning of our life, that the very beginning of our existence, humanly speaking, the thing that is first known about us, the first thing that is really celebrated about us, and even communicated about us, is our gender. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? 
that plays, researchers tell us that, anthropologists, sociologists tell us that it is so critical in the formation of a child early on that they, for them to know, am I a boy or am I a girl? That it's foundationally in the heart of a child to understand that and know that. And so I want to talk about this issue, and I want to start a little kind of up here, so you guys are going to have to hang with me for about 10 minutes of it, and then I want to get real practical, because we actually are going to try to work within our time constraints, unlike Pastor Keith, last service, um, who literally, he just lost all track of time and forgot the time, and so there was only like 14 minutes between the 9.30 and 11.15 service, and so we, we're going to have to send Starbucks card to all the, cheer, the children's workers and uh, we're going to fall on our sword. Because we believe the Holy Spirit moves in children's ministries too. But after an hour and 15 minutes, the Holy Spirit stops moving. Um, another spirit starts moving. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, this is one of the creation accounts. The creation accounts aren't in conflict. They're just two different vantage points of the creation account in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man that you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make somebody who's going to be a helpmate suitable for him. Now the word helper is the same word that's used of God in the Bible. So when the Bible says God is our ever-present help in the time of trouble, it's the same word that's being used there for the woman. So it's not a lesser term. It's not demeaning. It's just I'm gonna, God's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put somebody alongside of him that's going to be power and strength in his life. Somebody who's going to stand with him. Somebody that's going to fit him. Somebody suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature... That was its name. Would that be the best job in the world? You know, lion, tiger. I think he got a little tired at the end. Red bird, black bird, blue bird. Uh, kind of lost some of the creativity. But, but, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place where with flesh and the Lord God, listen to this word, the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of man and then he brought her to the man. Now, men and animals, it says were created out of the dirt of the ground. Women were not. So that's why girls sometimes you wonder, why do guys always so sloppy and messy and dirty? Well, there you go. <laughs> kind of going back to our roots. Um, but the word that's used of how God made a woman, it's, it's like he, he, like an artist at work. God intentionally, so the, the, the thing I want you to see is God thought very intentionally and carefully how he made a man and how he made a woman. That he made them very thoughtfully, very intentionally, very creatively. And it says that he took this woman and that he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, the Hebrew that the original Bible was written in, the language that we translate into the English, this is poetry in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew is very poetic. 
our English version is kind of prosaic. So it's, this is the idea we get, that Adam kind of woke up and God put Eve before him and he went, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is woman, person even thinking not a man. In the Hebrew, literally it means Adam went berserk and he started singing. He just started, he was almost like broke into poetry. This is rhyme in the Hebrew. It's, it's, it's the spoken word and he sees her because he had just seen all the animals and God says, is there any animal suitable for you? And Adam was like, no. And so God goes, all right, I'm going to make somebody for you. Because Adam was noticing every, there was a counter to every other, to every animal. There was the equal part. And there was nobody for him. And so when God put Eve before Adam, it says that Adam just went crazy. In essence, what he was saying is, I like this. This works for me. This is perfect. She's me. This is my other self. This is this is togetherness. This is completeness. And so he breaks out in this acknowledgement. If you go to Genesis 1, verse 25, the prior account, in verse 25 of chapter 1, it says, Then God says, Let's make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Basically, there's a shared ownership of the responsibility that God entrusts to humankind. Men and women share in the responsibility that God has given them. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now we're going to get to this in a moment, but we'll read it in a moment. Later, Jesus will quote this verse verbatim. So Jesus himself will say, in the beginning, God made them male and God made them female. So, I want to set the stage for trying to understand how we see life, how we see issues of gender, sexuality, identity, why that matters, and why that's significant. But you have to start by thinking about worldviews. Does everybody understand what a worldview is? Um, a, a worldview is like it sounds. It's an overall view of the world. It's a way that you... Not just You don't just look at the physical, but it's a philosophical way that you view the world. It's this all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists. So how you interpret and how you interact with the world around you is your worldview. And there are worldviews that then shape our behaviors and they shape the course um, that societies take and how culture is formed. And so... A worldview is so important because a worldview shapes the fundamental questions of life. The big issues of life are answered in your worldview. For instance, why are you here? Where did you come from? I was at the bedside of a man who is, could any minute pass away yesterday, battling cancer. He's on hospice care and he just, just every breath could be his last one. And my worldview and his worldview is shared in terms of how we think about life and death and where we've come from and where we're going. And he was completely shaped in that moment by his belief system, his worldview, what he thought about life. And so what is the meaning of good and evil and how do you know what is the different? And so a worldview answers the big existential questions in life, but they also shape your perspective on ethics and morality. 
And worldviews can exist at a personal level, but also a societal level. Since, really, um, the 14th century, Western civilization was primarily influenced by a biblical worldview. Uh, a view of looking at life in light of certain beliefs about who God is, God as a creator, what Jesus has done. And so, as we live now in a time and a period where the view of the world whole, societally and just in a wholesale sense is shifting, it's changing. And you might find, if you have a biblical worldview, that you're in conflict with the worldview around you. How many of you just can honestly say you feel that tension? You wonder about it. You, you might even question your own worldview that you were taught or what you were raised in because of just the, the changing around you. And so we, we could talk about, can you give me a couple examples of a worldview that might exist that beyond a biblical worldview? Give me, can you give me an example, anybody? So like naturalism is a worldview. Naturalism says that everything um, has a natural explanation for it, that there's this sense of um, highly evolved animals that we have become, and so there's a closed system in the universe. Um, but basically, there is no God. That's naturalism. Um, materialism is very similar. Materialism isn't that you just love to go to Nordstrom's every weekend. Uh, materialism is that you think that the material world is all that there really is that exists. Postmodernism um, is primarily a driving worldview of where we live today as well, that that there's no objective truths or moral standards. And so the reality that we live in then is what we construct humanly. So that's, that's a, a prominent worldview today. Or pantheism is a way of saying that there's a worldview that believes that everything is divine because everything came from the universe and it, we're all God, trees are God, we're all stardust, we're all moonbeams, we're all, we're all, you know, kind of this cosmic deity thing and this energy that's going to kind of come and go and go back to and return to. Um, so we're all kind of divine by nature. So that's what pantheism is a worldview that believes that. Nobody would ever come right out probably and say that, hey, I'm a pantheist, how about you? Like, is that like Peter Pan? I don't know what are you talking about. But So pluralism, has anybody ever heard of that? Pluralism is just like, well, there's all these different world religions and belief systems, but they're all equally valid. Not only are they equally valid, but... They all lead us to salvation. So that's basically saying they're all different, but they're equally true. So there's a, a worldview um, in that regard. And there's a lot more we could even talk about. But there's practices that come with worldviews. So when we talk about issues of, like, abortion, euthanasia, same-sex marriage or attraction, transgenderism, um, the hookup culture sexual hookup culture, when you, when you talk about all those things, there is a worldview that drives those things. And you have to understand that if you're going to think rightly about how you're relating to the world in which you live, that under all of those things, it's not just a matter of we're in a culture war and the, the Bible is right and everyone else is wrong. The Bible doesn't exist as a rule book to tell you what's right and everyone else is wrong. The, the Bible gives us this view of the world, this understanding of who we are, who God is, what this is all about, where this is all heading, what this all really means. It gives dignity and it gives significance and it gives meaning 
to the lives that we're living. And so we have a set of beliefs that have been shaped through the scriptures and by the person of Jesus Christ that determine how we interpret and interact with the world. So every practice, please listen, if you, please help to try to grasp this because I'm going to refer to it. Every practice that goes on has a worldview attached to it. So sometimes when we embrace certain practices, we're being pulled in to a certain kind of worldview that stands behind it. And oftentimes we're just simply unaware of it. So I want to jump right to what the Bible says in terms of having a biblical worldview about the human body. Um, as we read in our text, as we read in Genesis 1 and 2, the, the correspondence between male and female, the, the biological correspondence between male and female, is part of God's original creation. So that's what we understand from a biblical point of view. The, the sexual differentiation, God said, was good. He actually, when it came to human beings and he made them male and female, it says it's very good. So to be a boy or to be a girl is very good. In your heart, I, I, where I'm going to go with this, in your heart, I want you to be able to embrace that. That you are not at war with yourself. That God made you and he made you in his image if you're a boy, and he made you in his image if you're a girl. You are completely in the image of God. You are made out of God's likeness, and it's good. It's good to be a boy. It's good to be a girl. It's good to be male. It's good to be female. So when we talk about the morality, it leads us to certain things because it provides this reference point for us. When I understand who God made me to be, and it's a good thing, it's a reference point for my sexuality, it's a reference point for my identity, it's a reference point even for my morality. So there's a purpose in the physical structure that God has given you in your body. And you're called, and I'm called to respect that in myself and respect that in other people. So the big word, and stay with me about five more minutes, I'm going to shift to some practical stuff here. So the big word is theologically is teleos or telos is teleological, which basically means this, that in all of creation there is a design. There is a purpose for everything. The ear has a purpose. The nose has a purpose. The hand has a purpose. So when scientists, as they advance in their knowledge and understanding in science, they admit that the universe is teleological, that there is purpose in the universe. There is design. But we have to now say, if there is no God, then how did we get to this place of design and order? So therefore, it, given enough variables over enough long enough period of time, it just happened. So it just kind of coincidentally just kind of evolved and worked this way. But, but we look from the scripture from the very beginning, and we say, our body is tell us. There is a teleological purpose to our body. That there's a purpose in the physical structure of my body, and it's this. It's, first of all, intrinsically good. Your body is good. Um, and it's created for a purpose. And we use our body as an expression of God's goodness and for his divine purposes. So when we look at a teleological purpose or morality, what we see in the scripture is that there's this unity between how I think and feel about myself and who I am in my physical self. 
that there's not this division, there's not this separation. So when we talk about a naturalistic or a materialistic worldview, we're, we're living in a world that says, yes, there is, in nature, there, there seems to be the sense of order and precision and design, and it just eventually worked itself to that, but it's neutral morally. So therefore, if the body is part of nature and the body is natural, then I can impose upon my body whatever I want. I can do with my body whatever I want because I see it as being morally neutral. But the Bible declares that our body is the handiwork of God. It's made by God. It's an expression of his goodness. There's intrinsic value. You're not extrinsic in terms of your body. Your body is valuable inwardly, and so it's the handiwork of a loving God. And so that's why biblical morality, when your leaders or your parents talk to you about virtue and values and embracing certain kind of um, things that God says about our life and what we should say yes to and no to, that, that there's a value that the Bible is placing upon your body, that there's dignity that's being accorded to your body. And so there's an emphasis that's placed on the fact of our human embodiment, and we can't lose sight of that. So respect for yourself, respect for the person sitting next to you is inseparable from respect for our bodies. So those become one and the same. Same, it's intrinsic to our person. Now, the reason I said all of that is because underneath so many of the worldviews that exist that are predominant today, whether it be naturalism or, or postmodernism in particular, is they say that there's a certain dualism. What's your name? Kiana. Kiana? Kianu. Kianu. Third time's a charm. Come here, Kianu. What, what grade are you in? Okay, you're in transition from high school to college. You're a rising college freshman. Outgoing college, high school senior. Yeah, I'm, I'm belaboring the point. Uh, so where'd you go to high school? Okay, cool. So, so this is Keanu. And a dualistic view that's wrapped up in modernism and postmodernism and naturalism would say, Keanu thinks and feels... And Keanu has a body. And that there is now, based in science, this irrefutable fact that, that we are human beings in terms of biological function. They even acknowledge that life happens at conception in the womb. That's, it. That's science. You have to be anti-science not to believe that. But if abortion is going to be an acceptable practice, we have to find a way to be okay of terminating that life if we say that that is life. So there's a differentiation between biological life and personhood. So dualism would say you have biological life, but your personhood is detached from your physical life. So dualism would say there's an upper and a lower self. Your upper self is how you think about yourself. It's how you feel about yourself. What you want to believe about yourself, that's your true personhood. And it doesn't matter what your biological self is. Your biology is neutral. It has no bearing on informing you about morality or identity. Therefore, you can use your body to do whatever you want with it. Because that's just a mass of tissue. One thing I read this week from a, uh, a secular um, psychologist that's trying to do gender deconstruction and get rid of gender altogether, they're saying... This is just meat on a skeleton. Do you see the devaluation? 
That's a life in the womb, but it's not yet a person, so we can kill it. That person on the hospital bed that can't really respond to us necessarily or talk, um, make decisions for themselves, they're just biological, they're not a person. So do you see how your worldview begins to shape your practice? And so I'm, I'm this, I'm not this, so if I want to sleep around with whoever I want to sleep around, I can because I can detach myself and my person from my physical body. And it's a degenerating of your physical self. Where the Bible teaches us something more holistic. He is an integrated person. He's an embodied soul. To the point where God thinks so much of this body, that one day he's going to resurrect it. And it's going to live forever. He's going to live forever in bodily form, just as Jesus was resurrected. Jesus was God come in the flesh, which the religion of the day said, gods try to remove themselves from the material. Jesus stepped into it and clothed himself in humanity. So postmodernism and naturalism, materialism would say, well, this is neutral morally. This is not your true self. So therefore, your biology, your sexuality, who you kind of are physically does not inform your identity. It does not tell you who you really are. And the scripture tells us something different. The scripture tells us you're intrinsically good, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you can know something about what is empirical, what is unchanging, and that's your physical self. And my feelings change and my thoughts change. Do you know that they say that 80% of children who have gender identity issues will come back to their original gender of birth and biological gender? So even in the struggle or confusion or wondering or journey that ultimately there's this returning but we would kind of live in a world today that would say we don't really believe that this is really you the bible says no you're one with yourself you're not at war with yourself and sometimes my physical body can be this constant that reminds me of who i am so thank you that's all i ask you to do is just stand up there and be kind of like a prop i'm sorry for that so yeah so the, the world's view that we live in would say your muscles, your bones, your organs, your, but they provide no clue to terms of how you should live. So that's kind of called personhood theory. And, and we live in a world that's saying your physical body isn't your authentic self. Can I just tell you from a biblical point of view, your physical body is part of your authentic self. It's who you really are. And it's the... It's congruent or it's one with even how I think and, and, and how I feel. And so we live in a time where it says you can change your body, you can despise your body, you can hate your body. But the Bible says love yourself. Love who you were made to be and, and understand who you were made to be by virtue of that. So gender theology is rooted in how God created us to be. And when we sever gender from our biology, it becomes something that I can choose and therefore it becomes something I can change. And we have to understand that the physical structure of our human body reveals clues to our personal identity. And so you're integrated, you're a complete, and you're a whole person. Your body matters. So, look in Matthew 19 real quick. Look in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him, verse 3, to test him, and they asked Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, in the very beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and they'll express 
part of their purpose in who God made them to be by coming together as one in covenant marriage. So they are no longer two but one flesh. So what God has joined together, let men, no man separate. So let me give you three things or four, four quick things here in light of this, what this means. This one's brilliant. You guys are going to probably want to write this one down. It's like, how do I come up with these things? Number one, men and women are different. <laughs> I know, it's just profound, isn't it? Male and female, um, he created them. You know, even, it's funny, when you look at just even childhood, and what we don't want to do is be stereotyping in terms of all men are like this and all women are like this. That's where this a lot of the problems begin when we take God's design and we so emphasize roles and in stereotypes culturally of what a man is or what a what a boy is. So, um, but I wanna I wanna show you something. I hope it's okay if I do this. Um, the Bible says something that could be offensive to women if we didn't understand the context of it. It says that husbands live with your wives and understanding is the weaker vessel. And by weaker, he's not saying lesser or subservient. He's basically saying they're made differently. Men and women are just made differently. Physically, we're made differently. There are some really tough women out there. Physically tough. I mean, there's a couple of cage fighters I don't know, I don't want to go in the ring with. Uh, um, and there's a lot of men that are very thoughtful and tender and nurturing and sensitive. And so, so you can't say you're a boy, therefore you can only like this, or you're a girl, and you can only act like that, and you better have Hello Kitty purses and sparkly unicorns. I don't know, whatever it would be. You know, it's like... And, Guys, it's just weapons and wheels and burping and scratching and lifting heavy things because that's a guy. So we got to avoid all, all that. But just in terms of biologically, physiologically, chromosomally, anatomically, males and females are counterparts to one another. In Genesis 2, it says that an Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. Their differences were on full display to each other, even physically. And there was no shame there in who they were and who God made them to be. And so there's these counterparts to one another. There's a popular TED Talk where a cardiologist, a doctor, she says this, every cell has a sex. And what that means is that men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular level. It means that we're different across all our organs, from our brains to our hearts to our lungs to our joints. The smoking gun for design, however, is in the cell's nucleus. It's the command and control center. The DNA molecules store an immense amount of information. And geneticists talk about DNA as a database that stores all this information. And basically what she's saying is, no matter what your philosophy is in terms of gender, if you're ill and you're sick and they put you on the operating table, the doctor has to know your biological, biological sex in order to give you proper treatment. So at the cellular level, the most basic... DNA of your life, you are male or female. God made you to the deepest part of who you are, male or female. So I tell my, I raised three boys. And I didn't want my wife to feel like she was living in a locker room all the time. And so I was kind of like teaching them. They didn't have sisters. So they had that. It's like, what does it mean to love mom and honor mom? God made her different. And one day, we're sitting at the dinner table, and I, I said, mom's like a teacup. Doesn't mean that she's this dainty and she's... But it's just God made her different. And God made me a coffee mug. 
And how I handle your mom matters because God made me different than her, not better than or worse than, just different than. And if there's a clash, look at that. If, if there's, look at this guy. I'm sorry, so why does God say, hey brothers, handle your sisters, listen, handle your sisters with gentleness. Why? Because they're these mousy little things? No, because God just made them different than you. Do you know something that's true? This, is, this still blows me away. A little startling, I'm sorry about that. Uh, the, when my son Sam was running in high school, he... Uh, in the 800 was his main event. And his best time as a junior in high school in the 800 would have won the gold medal in the women's Olympics in the 800. That physically, the peak ability, the best, the, the greatest women runners in the world can run, my son that was just an upper-end high school runner as a junior in high school could have beat all of them. He's not better than them in terms of who he is as a person. doesn't have more value than them. He's just made differently. That there's something at the heart level, that there's something in the physical level that you're just made differently. And so that's science. That's Bible. That's all working together. The second thing I want you to know, so what does it mean to be a man or a woman? That's where it begins to break down because that's a lot of that's cultural. That gets reduced to roles. Do you know that until the Industrial Revolution, for the most part, men were responsible for the education of their children. Women helped in the manual labor of the home in a very agrarian society. It wasn't when, until men started going off to factories and things like that that we began to see the division of labor. So it's not always been like we know it where men predominantly do this or women predominantly do that. Do you know there's two brothers in the Bible named Jacob and Esau? This is how it describes Jacob. He was hairy, and he was a hunter. And he smelled like the earth, and his dad loved him because he always brought him the food that he hunted. His brother Esau didn't like to go out in the field. His brother Esau liked to be in the tents with his mom. His brother Esau, the Bible says, had smooth skin. He wasn't hairy like his brother. And so you get this comparison. But the Bible shows the distinctions between how they both expressed their maleness, but never once did it say one was less of a man than the other. So what is it saying? It's saying that, that you can be male and still maybe be thoughtful, tender. Maybe you don't like to shoot deer with bow and arrows or, you know, or uh, you know, turn everything into a how bad can you pass gas in comparison to the other guy. You know, or, or if you're a girl, it doesn't mean it's all you know, shopping and... I didn't raise girls. I'm lost. Uh, you know, or whatever it would be. I'm just trying to think stereotype here. So, um, But what does it mean to be a man or woman? See, we're, we're, we're still answering those questions in terms of it's, it's okay to be a male and yet not fit into stereotypes. It's okay to be a female and not fit into stereotypes. So God made us differently, but we're learning to be continue to live out what does it mean and then the third thing is what you do then with your body matters um can i because we got about five minutes so listen to this your prime hanging in there gabe all right your primary identity i know sorry dude 
Okay, listen. Your primary identity is not your sexuality. It's who you are as a man or a woman in Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? Your primary identity is not your sexuality. It's who you are as a person in Jesus Christ. We live in a world that basically is saying that the most important thing about you is how you think of yourself sexually. That's not the most important thing. They're putting all the possibility for hopes and fulfillment in life on that issue alone, and it's not. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. You're an image bearer of God, not just somebody defined by sexuality. So um, let me read this verse to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Listen to this real quick. Flee from sexual immorality for all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So honor God with your bodies. Honor your body and honor God. The two go in tandem together. Do you know that God looks at your body and he treasures you like an heirloom? Like somebody would take a precious um, jewel or take a like a priceless violin or something and hold it, seeing it as worthy of respect and protection. And so your body deserves to be treated in a way that is equal to how God treats you. Don't treat yourself less than God treats you. And so we're living in a world that is basically saying you can do whatever you want with your body because that's not the real you. And we're living an alternative reality to the world. We're saying there's a different way. There's another way we can live our lives. And so um, when we look at culture um, and how it kind of emphasizes this freedom of sexuality in terms of engaging biologically with other people and having sex with whoever you want to have sex with, the Bible says, no, your personhood, your soul is connected to your body. So that's why God would say, I want you to save that for marriage. Not because God's favorite word is no. Not just because God's up in heaven going, how can I make them have no fun? God is saying because you're a whole person. That your soul is connected to your body and your body connected to your soul. So when we read in 1 Corinthians, it says, avoid sexual immorality. Listen to this. Because all other sins. There's this kind of identifying that something about this area is different in terms of how it really affects us in our person. Deep down, and it's not like any other sin. So if sex was only physical, why is it then when a child is sexually abused, it's so hard for them later in terms of just later in life, the consequences of that action in their life that happened to them? Why can't they just shake it off? Why can't you say to somebody that's been sexually abused, hey, just get over it. It's just your body. Because it's more than just our body. Why is rape so devastating? Why is, it a, why is it a secret that is so painful and shameful for so many women that they've carried around, and even men? Why is that different than other kind of abuse? Because it violates you at your personhood, at yourself as a physical being, as an emotional person, as a soul. If it was only physical, we could just say, get on with it, get over it. Do you know that as a pastor, I can't even count the times I've had men say to me, what I'm about to tell you. I've never told anyone else. And then they just begin to confess the most sexual broken story that you could imagine. 
And why if it was just physical, why are they carrying that around as this devastating lie that's going on in their life and that's rooted in so much other, I mean, that's becoming the root of so much other dysfunction and broken relationships in their life? Why is it that the greatest regrets that people have are sexual? It is. I'm telling you, 30 years of being a pastor, I traffic in secrets. It's what I do. People confide in me. And the number one thing that people confide in in terms of pain and brokenness in their life is in regret is sexual. Over and over and over again. If it's just physical, if it's just your body, then why is that true? can't treat it as just physical because there's something much deeper there. And so people think, well, I'll just do whatever I want. And one day I'll get married and everything will just be okay. And it always surfaces. It always comes back. And so in kind of conclusion here, what is the goal of all of this? Ultimately, the goal is love. We want to love God. We want to trust God. We want to live the love of God. We don't engage in culture wars because there's a lot of culture war around these issues of gender and identity. People say that gender is just this frame of mind and gender is a, a tool of oppression to keep people down. And maybe to some degree in history that has happened as well. But when you talk about gender from a biblical worldview, you're talking about you, yourself, your identity, your whole person. You're not dualistic. You're integrated. You're Remember from math, integers, what is those? They're whole numbers, right? Did anybody know that? Like the one thing I remember from math in high school, you guys don't know? Uh, the, the, they're, they're, whole, they're whole numbers. You know, you guys, if you talk to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and they're dealing with transgender issues and identity issues sexually, you don't go after them and those things. You, you talk to them about Jesus like you would anyone else. We're not fighting a culture war. We're wanting to show Jesus to the world. We're wanting to bring Jesus to bear in our world. We want to live the wisdom and the beauty of who Jesus has designed us to be and who he is in us to the world. You guys are dealing possibly in your own hearts or with people in your classes or friends or sports teams that maybe are carrying a lot of pain, a lot of confusion maybe, a lot of struggle, a lot of anger even. And our goal isn't to show how we're right and they're wrong. Our, our goal is to provide an alternate reality by living something different that shows the wisdom of how God lovingly made us. You are not a something. You are a someone. So I want us to pray, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me if you would. I think Jeff next week is going to talk about the relationship between the sexes, between male and female, and how important that is and to be honored and uphold that. But I want you just to think in terms of you for a moment as we finish. I want you to just think in terms of how you think and feel about yourself and who you are physically. The world would try to divide you into two and say that there's who you are humanly, your human being, your biology, your organs, your chromosomes, your anatomy, all those things, but they're not the real you. The real you is what you feel and think. But I'm going to tell you, your feelings and way of thinking will change continually. But your physical self is fixed down to the most cellular level. 
and it informs us not only of our identity, but of morality, of direction. And when you live congruent, you're living kind of the truth of who God made you to be, and that's where there's real fulfillment. That's where there's true freedom. And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will help each one of us today. Where you maybe you get mixed messages, maybe you're comparing yourself to other girls or other guys, or maybe you don't feel like you measure up and you're trying to be something that you're not and you just want to fit in or whatever the pressures are that you encounter on a day-to-day basis, that you would find your security in a God who lovingly shaped and fashioned your life, that he made you in a very significant way, that together with your brothers, together with your sisters in Christ, we present the full image of God to the world in which we live. And he made them male and female, that we might display the goodness and the glory of God on all the earth, that you would love who God made you to be, that you would embrace who God made you to be, that you would live in light of who God made you to be, and that you would trust God with who he made you to be, because he's your maker, and you can trust him. And all things have come from God, and all things are going to him, Jesus said. And when your life is in God, you recognize he's the author, that he's the finisher of your faith, so you can trust him in between as well. In Jesus' name.